Welcome everybody to an episode of the Keepers of the Book. I'm your host, Miles, joined here with my co-host, Jordan. And let's just jump right into it. Today we're covering Avatar The Last Airbender, Season 2, Episodes 1 through 10. Avatar Welcome The Best Airbender. Uh, <laughs> he really is the best airbender. I mean, I know like uh, like if you look at Legend of Korra, you see like, man, he, he just, he's very creative. That's why I think he's the strongest bender we've probably ever seen. Because first of all, he's young. And he had to quickly learn all the elements. Mm-hmm. And but I think what makes him so powerful is that he's very creative. And you know, I I watched a little bit of um Korra. Not like a bunch, but like just clips on YouTube. Yeah. And like with Aang, you get to see him like grow up. With Korra, she's already grown up. He's already grown up. And I think that's what um kind of held it back for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, it's what, in my opinion, held it back for me. But um, I've rewatched Korra twice, and it when you put aside that expectation, uh, I think it improves it. Yeah, I can I can see that. So, um, but yeah, so anyone who's planning on watching Korra, I mean, we're gonna cover it in this show. But um, anyone who's planning on watching Korra and uh, is watching ahead of us. Just know if you're starting any, haven't already seen it, put that expectation aside that this is just, it, it is a different type of show. Mm-hmm. It deals with completely different um, themes, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was telling last night, what dealt with themes of war, genocide, and, you know, uh, just overcoming that. Whereas Legend of Korra is very much dealing with pressure, social pressures, and, you know, internal turmoil and whatnot. Like, because, Aang was very much inner turmoil was not much of a thing for him. Like he had some right. of it, of course, uh, because he had a lot of pressure on him at a very young age. But inner turmoil was not that big of a thing for Aang. Right. Um, and I think it's because um, he's an airbender and he was raised as a monk. So like patience, yeah, calm. You know, yeah, the constant of patience, detachment, and <clears throat> just letting go and just go with the flow kind of thing is very much. Uh, was ingrained into him since birth. Right. And I think, you know, when you're the survivor of a genocide, <laughs> I think that kind of adds a different perspective. But Agreed. Anyway, so this, if I, okay, I would say that book one was an introduction to the world, and it was largely centered around um, Aang. You know, we got more of his, a lot of his backstory and whatnot. I would say book two is a lot about Zuko. Yeah, yes, because then you get to see more of him and his uncle, which is they go back and forth, and it's hilarious because his uncle's just like, give me tea. That's yes. it. <laughs> um, this is why, honestly, um, Uncle Iroh is one of my favorite characters in the show. It's just because he... Didn't I say that was my favorite as well? I think that's that that was your number one favorite. Yeah, he's not my number one favorite. My number one favorite is Zuko, but I think a lot of what Zuko's my, the things I love about him are directly responsible through Iroh. Yeah, um, but I think <clears throat> this season you see the most growth in him, and I think it's um, again this show taught me so much as a kid and. You know what's funny is it actually continues to teach me as an adult. 
Um, and that's just a mark of a great show. And as cheesy as mm-hmm. that ta- sounds, it really is true because Zuko, we through we see through episode one when you know we see Azula, and then she tries to trick him by getting him onto the ship, and then it turns out she's just trying to capture him. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's if you were to ask Zuko at that moment, the fact that he not what I think being banished was probably the worst moment in his life, and then becoming uh, yeah. a fugitive. <laughs> Becoming a fugitive would probably be a very close second, maybe even the number one worst thing in his life. Um, so I think when you take that into account, I I think when you take that into account, that, that those are some of the worst things in his life in that moment. But looking back at it, when he's an older man, when he's more experienced, when he's more uh, more wise, all that stuff. Right. He, I think he would agree that this is probably the best thing that's ever happened to him. Because, because he yes. became a fugitive and he had to live amongst the Earth Kingdom people, um, <clears throat> he got to experience directly the impact that his family's war had on the world. Right. And that that gave him a better worldview. Worldview, yes. you could say. And, and we already saw some of that in book one, where he was already right. kind of seeing that. But he was so driven because he had, you know, his ship, he had his soldiers, so he was still crown prince of the Fire Nation. But now he is the fugitive on the run from the Fire Nation. Yikes. So, yeah, I think this giving him so much perspective on that is such a is a very big deal. Uh, and it, it was directly responsible for the shaping of Zuko's mentality. Um, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone, <clears throat> but we'll, we'll talk about that later in the episode. Um, and I think as you rewatch, and I highly, if you're going to rewatch any show, I would say even more than Expanse, because Expanse just d- does get really heavy, and I do recommend watching that. I think Avatar Last Airbender, it being more digestible, I, I very much recommend people rewatch Avatar Last Airbender because there's so much depth and wisdom to be gained. And is there more depth and expanse? I agree there is, yes. but that's also an adult show. So right. when you take into account that this is a show that I watched when I was in fifth grade. That was a little while ago, yeah? Yeah, that, it's been a while, man. I mean, I want to say I'm an old, old man, but I am an old man. Just one old. I'm not, I'm not too old yet. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it, it was a while ago for me and considering that it, again, it was made for like middle schoolers, basically it is very deep and you get to see just the, the emotion behind the bending styles, the personalities right. that are ingrained into the personalities uh, of each bending. It's like your element de- Pretty much decides how you act, I guess you could say. Yeah, and it does And I think where Iroh's Uncle Iroh's, and this is uh, referring to the last episode, I think that we covered today, episode ten, mm-hmm. uh, when he's talking about, uh, or it may even be episode nine. I don't remember uh, when he's teaching him about redirecting lightning and whatnot, and he's right. saying that you know, like, listen, I, um, listen, uh, I. I'm teaching you this, it's new, blah, blah, blah. But, but really the lesson he's trying to teach him is that you need to learn from the different cultures, the different nations, the different elements in the world so that you're not just single-minded. Right. And I think that that was a very wise lesson for Uncle Ira to teach. And I think, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, I 
I've been having a lot of congestion lately. But I think that that, um, that lesson is so I can't I can't valuable. emphasize yeah, yeah valuable I can't emphasize enough how valuable it is for the modern world and I think today more than any other time I think in human history we need that more because now we become <clears throat> not to get too into the world worldly issues but today we become <laughs> more globalized for better or for worse uh, and there are good things and there are bad things that have come with a globalized world where we right. share you know global trade there's absolutely we've gained more wealth. But we've also gained more insight into the mm-hmm. world, right? We get to see diff- – we are exposed to different cultures, different clothes, food, music, ways of thinking, education, all that. Right. So – but I think we got exposed to it so quickly that I think human beings just didn't have a time to really absorb it properly. And Like there's too much information at once. Yes. And the brain can't – can't retain all of it so it gets confused at yeah, least that's I, the way i, I see also, it. yeah i agree and i also think that again not to get to a political thing i also think our education system has not done a good job at showing us you know the different the different cultures of the world i think anthropological studies should be a thing not just in college it should be a thing earlier on right um but you know regardless but i think this is uncle iroh's teaching is like it's such a beautiful teaching and one of the things that he says is, uh, you know, you can't do lightning because you have too much shame in your heart. And he says, well, I'm not shameful. I have more pride than ever. He said, like, shame is not the opposite of pride. Shame is actually the the source of shame is pride. Right. The cure for that is humility. And they in in the in the universe of Avatar, they focus heavily on chakra and those things block your chakra points. So like that's why he can't redirect lightning yes. as efficiently because yes. he he has a blockage and that's where the – call it energy. I mean call it the magic system, but that's where that – that's where that hails from. They, they yep. used Eastern mythology, oh, which yeah. is really sweet, um, but that's where that comes from. You know, the constant you know, freeing up of your chakras and it, it's, it, it's like enlightenment. Put it, yeah, put yeah. It. I agree. So like uh, you need Iroh's to trying to enlighten him. Mentally to be able to do this. Yes, Um, absolutely. And I think that it it just shows more as you learn more and more about the world and the magic system, so to speak in this, um, it it, like, you know, when, or when Aang says like, you know, when I'm bending earth, I have to be stoic and unmovable, both physically and emotionally. Like it's Mm -hmm. not a physical thing. Right. Right. Like look at how, how much, how much struggling Zuko is going through to just bend this lightning. Right, like, and you can tell that he has it going. He has a capability to do it, but it keeps blowing up in his face. Why? Because right. he's not emotionally centered. He's not emotionally balanced. Azula is. Mm-hmm. Just, just because you're emotionally balanced does not mean you're a good person, by the way. Right. As we see through Azula, um, pure hatred and death. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it was just, I don't know, the, the, uh, Uncle Iroh. I love I loved this portion of it, him teaching and you know, like and how he used the the bending concepts, I think is probably the best word I can come up with. The bending concepts to improve his own bending. And he said, like, yes, you know, only the Avatar can bend all four elements. This is true. But that doesn't mean that we can't also use the Avatar as an inspiration to also learn about the world. Right. And I think it, that, oh man. So for me, on a personal level, 
that going back to that line about how he said, you know, shame is not the opposite of of pride. It's pride is actually the source of shame. Right. Um, I think that that to me that speaks to me the most because that has been a big issue for myself. That's held me back for a long time, and luckily over the last year or so, I've worked through so much of it. But yeah, that that's basically it. Is that, mm-hmm. um, and I can confirm personally that's true. That pride is the source of shame, and humility mm-hmm. is the only way really out of it. Um, and so yeah, that yeah, I can't, I can gush about just that episode for so long. And the other right. thing that is probably my one of my favorite scenes. Um, in the entire show because it screams so much about Zuko's just inner turmoil. Mm -hmm. And that's when he's up on that mountain screaming at a thunderstorm. Yeah. Kind of like Vegeta was in uh, dragon ball Z when he went to that planet. I don't honestly don't know which scene you're referring to. Okay. Well, (laughs) it was, it's a similar scene, but anyways, continue. Okay. Um, I send me that scene later because I do want to see that. Because I love that, right? Because we always look at guys like Vegeta or, or Zuko as like these just angry, mm-hmm. angsty teenage people, which I know Vegeta is an adult, but, you know. Still angry and angsty. Yeah, still a- angry and angsty. But so we kind of th- see these people as just angry people, and we don't think of them as they have their own reasons for being angry. Right. So, again, you know, my kids recently, he was watching Avatar Last Airbender with me, my son was, and he goes, is he a bad guy? He was not not Zuko specifically, but just in general. He was just saying, "Is he a bad guy?" Right. Um, and because my kids are trying to get the concept of there's good guys and bad guys. After oh, last Airbender yeah. introduced at a young age for me that they may be antagonists, but they're bad for a reason, or they act that way for a reason. And when he's up on that mountain and he's screaming up to the universe, then he's like, "Come on, what?" Now that I can strike back, now you're going to hold back? You know, right. you've never held back before. I mean, for the, the, the voice acting in that scene is nothing short of extraordinary. I was fully invested in that. And then mm-hmm. the animation of when the rain is pouring over him and then you can see the tears come out too. I mean, it doesn't get much more emotionally powerful than that. Right. And that scene... I mean, I am nearing 30 years old. I have three kids of my own. And that scene still gives me shivers. There are I moments can see that. when I'm not even watching Avatar. Like I'm not on a uh, repeat watch through. And then right. I'll just pull that scene up just to give myself goosebumps. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because, pretty cool. and again, you guys, some of you guys might think it's like, oh, wow, this guy is a literal nerd for the show. And you know what? You're right. I am. This show holds such a special place in my heart um and this scene is one of the big reasons for that it's 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 like a it's like a moment of snapping almost yes because the episodes leading up to this and so i would recommend for anyone who watches or rewatches shows start rewatching with different focuses in mind maybe rewatch with a focus of a single character's pov in mind and if you watch from Zico, Zuko, uh, Zico, Zuko's POV, Zico. <laughs> when you watch from Zuko's POV, watch, you'll see that you get to see his past, right? When, um, uh, uh, when he's alone, right? When he's mm-hmm. riding that little, uh, ostrich, uh, ostrich mount thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, 
That is a very cool mount. Um, I, I agree. <laughs> so if when he's in that episode, you see some of the flashbacks and you see his mother and you see how, you know, he, just how poorly he was treated and whatnot. And then put yourself into that perspective. I mean, he was like, what, eight years old? Right. Right. And then his mother leaves. So the only person he's left with is his sister, mm-hmm. who is which just, is just terrible. Human being. Um, and then his father, who is also a despicable human being. And no one else. Uncle Iroh, I don't think, was there at the time because he was still out in the war camp. Right. Right. Um, and, and now there's no confirmation of whether or not Zoo, uh, Uncle Iroh came back. I think he did come back. So maybe there was some reprieve there. But like, imagine that. You're the son of a dictator, and the dictator hates you. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, think about it. Right? This is that is what exactly happened to him right. at a very young age. He before you know you had your mother defending you, and now you don't even have that. Yeah, you're just kind of alone. Exactly, and that's it's funny you say that because that's literally the name of the episode, Zuko Alone, and um, it's a double meaning, right? Uh, because the episode, it's it is literally him physically alone in the world at the moment in the current timeline, but it's referring to the, the double meaning. The second meaning refers to Zuko's flashbacks where he's alone as a as a very young kid, and literally the only person he had in his life was his mother, and then you know, gone as well. Um, gone as well. Yeah, that's and, terrible. Yeah, and it was just uh, it's heartbreaking to watch, and then right. The the other thing that I think this show does really well is shows like just how disgusting war can be, mm-hmm. um, and that's very difficult to do without showing the actual death, killing, and you know let's be honest like some rapes and all that's very disgusting filthy stuff that happens especially during war. Um, and it doesn't show any of that, and yet it still somehow manages to drive home the point that war is terrible. Uh, which is not a new concept, but when I th- one of the things I liked was that you saw that there were these Earthbender soldiers, right, in that Zuko episode, where they're very corrupt, right? Like, they're stealing from local villages, and they're not really soldiers, they're literally thugs. And that's because what happens during a wartime, especially a drastic wartime, is so many resources are put into the war effort that, like, local policing and whatnot, that that focus kind of falls by the wayside. You get what I'm saying? Like, when you police, like, the neighborhood, then it's safe. Mm-hmm. But then whenever the police are no longer there, because sometimes, a, you know, if a war becomes so drastic that you need more soldiers, then maybe the um, policemen are pulled into the war effort. So because right. of that, like, now you get, like, these corrupt soldiers who are, they're not really soldiers. Like they said, they're basically thugs. So, like, what then, you know? And... Yeah, I, I so I really like that scene too, where it's just again further driving home the point that like you know it's not just the firebenders that are bad guys, right? Like we saw in the Blind Bandit episode when you first see Toph, that um, there are Earthbenders who are not good people, right? Like that one, right. um, the guy who owned the the UFC Earthbending edition. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like little... he he is an antagonist. I mean, my, that was a guy that actually I just remember now. That was a guy my son was saying. He's like, "Hey, is he a bad guy?" Because you know, he was very clearly painted as the antagonist. Um, right. And he's not a firebender. 
So again, this is more stuff that was shown to me at a young age that like, you know, not it helped all your world villains view. are mustache twirling villains. Eh, I wouldn't say that. I'm a villain and I have a mustache that I twirl. Yeah, but I said not all villains. Some of them are oh. like you. <laughs> but yeah, that I mean, and then the rest of the episodes in this in this first half of the season, mm-hmm. I I I enjoyed I enjoyed them because I mean, yes, there was a little bit of fighting. But I enjoyed them because it helps me build the world. And I know, since I know what happens at the end, per se, I don't know the details, but I know what happens at the end, obviously. But this helps me build a bigger picture for the end of the show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah. I I know what you mean because whenever you have um, when you're watching for the first time, I think are you talking like more so because of, it's a rewatch, so you can kind of yeah. see. Now, since you know, I think this is where rewatches kind of help, and I because you know what's going to happen, so you can kind of see mm. the um, the breadcrumbs laid beforehand. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I I love it, and um, I also love that. There are some people who are just benders, right? They 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 just see bending as a tool for their like daily life or for fighting or whatever, and that's mm. it. And I'm not saying that's wrong per se, but there are those who are, who bend like Uncle Iroh, or and then this one Boomy King Boomy. Yep, where they see bending as an art form and as an extension of their life, because Boomy talks about like you know he could have fought the fire nation there, but then what would that have done? He would have probably failed. Umashi would have fallen anyways. Right. And a lot of his own people would have died. And so you, if he and surrendered, I think lose. he bought the life of his city. And then he, you know, now presumably we're going to wait for him to strike back in the mm-hmm. future. Right. And it's like he was playing the long game instead yes. of the short game. And this is, and you know, one of the cool things I like, and it, it goes to the personality of the quote unquote element, I would say, the, uh, is that in earthbending, because it's not as fast or hyper like agile, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like waterbending, firebending, and airbending just seems way more fluid, right? Just, right. And earth is way more stubborn and just stuck in its place, so to speak. Because of that, I think that um, I love the concept that in earthbending, you strike when it's the perfect opportunity. You don't throw out unnecessary strikes because that's just going to tire you out. And earth is not made for that. It's it's slower. It's bulkier. And it's, you know, it's just rigid. So Boomy... He only he's not striking right now at the Fire Nation because he's not ready. Right. And he, he's he's playing the long game. Yeah. It it really is like it, it's cool to see that. And Toph has the same way, right? Because she sees the earth, she's uh she can sense the vibrations and whatnot, so she can feel the earth's like speech, so to speak. Right. Right. It's like a it's like the earth's talking to her per mm-hmm. se. And you know this honestly, this concept of strike only when you're supposed to strike is a concept that other benders can use too, right? Like, who said that only earthbenders can use this? Mm-hmm, right. Waterbenders can use this too. Could you imagine if like a firebender used this concept 
like to strike only when necessary, like to conserve your energy for the right moment timing. Right. It's, I don't know. Stuff like this is really what makes, um, it's like the strategy of the bending. Yeah. On, on a, yeah, on a massive level, not like right. the individual battle tactics, but the grand strategy. Right. So it's a, it's a, and you know, I'm assuming that different elements, they have to use different strategies. Cause if not, they won't be able to fight the other elements because it's a direct counter water but fire. I think this is where it comes in is that like, they're not a lot of these guys because they just see bending as nothing more than like a tool. They're not, uh, they don't strategize properly. They, right. they could, but I don't think that they do. And you're, that's probably completely true. Yeah. Like, and I'll be honest with you. I, I can't off the top of my head, just think up of a, uh, strategy right now like for each bending but like you know sure with water bending maybe you want to do more night raids for when the moon's out and whatnot right yeah, that makes sense i never thought about it like that yeah so stuff like that but just in general maybe like when you fight in unison for earthbenders you use a very phalanx style you know very defense heavy tactic and mm -hmm. slow movements going up and down uh the ranks and whatnot so stuff like that you know or like you know if you were an earthbender like nation fighting and you have non-benders who have like spears how about you make like a turtle formation where you have earthbenders blocking your spearmen and then the spearmen form like a turtle porcupine formation something like that <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying i'm just throwing stuff out I get there it. but we've I never seen i don't think we've seen that no i don't and think so, so either. this is the stuff i'm talking about that like they they just see bending as just like a means to an end and they don't really see the deeper stuff meaning yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah and, and i mean it, there's not a whole lot oh yes one last thing i can touch on uh this episode where we left off at with the library where um appa gets taken uh -huh. there's one episode after it that was kind of like released at around the same time i think maybe even the same day uh and but yeah basically appa gets taken right and the show went on a semi-hiatus for several months I, i'm mm -hmm. looking at it, the dates right now the episode came out july 14th 2006 and then the C, uh, the next episode, the TV show resumed September 15th. Do you know oh, wow. how aggravating it is to have that happen? Where, you, where <laughs> mid-season, they just take a break for several months. And, you know, this is back then where I wasn't allowed on the internet that much anyways. Uh, to just, like, you know, freely roam around. Right. And I didn't, and even back then, to be honest, even if I had, I, I wouldn't have known the concept of just like looking up dates. Like nowadays, we kind of take it for granted. It's like right. you can just look up a news, like one season three of The Boys coming out or whatever, right? But you, you couldn't really. That was not a, a major thing back then. You just kind of hear about it through advertisements during, like you know, because back then we had to deal with ads in the middle of TV shows a lot. So then you would hear, oh, look, you know, the Avatar is going to resume in, in in a couple of weeks. Right. So whenever it took a hiatus or like, you know, a couple months skip or whatever, it was kind of, it was kind of uh, frustrating. Disheartening. Because, yeah. yeah dude, Appa gets taken. Like, this was such a big deal. Appa gets taken. Like, I want to fight that person. My, yeah, my entire life was flipped upside down at this point. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. yeah. And that's. That's, you know, that was the way I was like, I was thinking about that on the way home. I was like, man, we're about to cast. And I was like, man, I want to fight somebody that touches Appa. Like, oh, yeah. He's just no, a big cuddly bear. I was very angry.
And I, not just angry, dude. I was hurt. And again, now imagine this when I'm a kid. Like you watch, we watch shows like Jimmy Neutron, Fairly Odd Parents, you <laughs> yeah. know, Drake and Josh, but none of those yeah. really hurt you. This was the first show, if I remember correctly, that like hurt me. I was like, wait, this isn't how shows are supposed to be. Because back then, um, the shows that I would watch is like each episode was like its contained adventure. And the entire show was just this larger adventure with there's really no focus or goal. It was just just follow these characters around in this episodic adventure but this for this to have a continued story that you were following and then now a major member was just taken it wasn't just a major member like katara or soccer or top or ink it was a guy that was responsible for the transportation everywhere <laughs> they could fly right. over mountains rivers lakes oceans right so this is a huge deal and we're gonna see how much that they took for granted the fact that Alpha could fly them anywhere. Uh yeah, and it, it, like in that universe, like there's not cars. Yes. <laughs> so like this is the best chance yep. that they have for movement. It is. Pretty neat to see. To so say. um there's nothing else I have unless if you wanted to bring something else up. I'm not off the top of my head, no. All right. Uh, well, I guess we can just wrap it up there then. Um, so next time we'll be covering season two, episodes 11 through 20. Man, I love this show so much. Like, I don't know. The, just read it, like watching it again for this uh, podcast. It's like, man, this is like perfect. But yeah, thank you all for listening and we'll see you all next time. Yeah.